Hey everyone, welcome to Locked On Lakers for Friday. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Lakers have a big weekend in front of them against two very intriguing Western Conference teams. We'll talk about what's coming up and what they look like. We'll talk about Ben Simmons and we'll talk about succession with one of our favorite people. All that coming up next. You are Locked On Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Want to let you know this episode of Locked On Lakers is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. Uh, I want to thank you as well for making Locked On Lakers the first listen that you have of every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday. Um, we get this thing up early for you, so if you're one of those early risers, it's there when you're good to go. Um, and Andy... Yes, I am very, I am very excited about today's uh, today's episode because not only are we going to talk about a big weekend for the Lakers and what we saw on opening night and where they might be going with Russell Westbrook, not only are we going to talk a little bit of Ben Simmons because that is getting weird uh, in Philly, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll sneak in some succession. We're going to do that with one of our favorite basketball voices, Sirit Zoe from the Ringer, moving up like a rocket in the world, like the Ringer. Like, that's a big deal now. She is also, uh, coincidentally, the first daughter of Edmonton, which explains yes. her, recent, her recent three-part series on mixed-use building policy in Alberta, which felt out of place at the time, but once you understand it, it makes more sense. Sirit, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. We, uh, congratulations, we though. Thank you. Uh, Spirit's Thank you. dad was just elected the mayor of Edmonton for real. So the, this is awesome. And I know you worked hard on the campaign. So this is great. We are rooting for you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Definitely. Definitely relief. Uh, very exciting. Very proud of him. Um, yeah, I honestly, it's it's weird. It's at work. Um, we're, I think, now starting to all come out, out of like the delirium. Um, although you guys can actually see me, so it's a little bit, I mean, that might be debatable at this particular moment, uh, but we're still like, I feel like finally starting to like actually feel the moment and it's, it's really cool. I'm just, just super happy for him and, and proud and, you know, excited to see what he does next. Yeah, did you get a chance to, to catch the, uh, the big Laker game on opening night? I did. Yeah. I did. Um, yeah. Before we, before we kind of look at that a little bit, where were you on this whole, are the Lakers like going to thrive with Westbrook? It's going to crash. Like where, where did you land on this before it all started? Um, I've personally never really been a big Russell Westbrook fan. Um, like I, we, we actually just recorded a podcast this morning, uh, me and Logan um, at the ringer. He wrote uh, a feature about Draymond, so I wanted to have him on to talk about the Warriors. And we ended up getting into this conversation about Westbrook and about how the Warriors kind of love playing him because they can pretty much always guess what he's going to do. And they can, I mean, it's a great moment for them because they are an inherently sort of arrogant team. And not only do they get to win, but they get to like win with their intelligence and like making somebody else look like they're not making the best decisions, which like, you know, it, like there's everybody likes to win. And there's like ways that like there's like the how of it that can like really get your juices flowing. I feel like that's just like they love playing Westbrook for that reason. So um, that's always been kind of an omen for me in terms of just like his um, his longevity in the playoffs, because it almost always seems like 
even in the best of scenarios, which this isn't necessarily for Westbrook, just in terms of like the spacing around him, the amount that he's being asked to change. Um, even in the best of scenarios, like he kind of tends to uh, tends to you know burn bright and flame out. <laughs> well, look, so, I, mean, look, I mean, Lakers, and that's are, just the experience. There's a lot right. of there's a lot of explosions and fireworks yes. along the way. I don't want to completely denigrate the Russell Westbrook experience, but um, it kind of always lands like face first on the ground. So <laughs> it's super early, and I I think that's really important to say with this team specifically because. Right. There is no way that they are going to look like this, you know, in game 82. Like, they're definitely going to tinker with some stuff. I mean, they, you know, they didn't even start 80 at the five, right? Like, there's a ton of stuff that they that they did that, like, you just wouldn't do in the playoffs. Um, and I'm actually, you know, we'll, I'm, I would be curious, like, to get your guys' thoughts on that general philosophy as, like, close watchers of the Lakers, just generally, like, the way that Frank Vogel has gone from – he kind of goes like very conservative with defense and then slowly, you know, adjusts to the reality of the situation, usually being like the playoffs and like the need for need for spacing. Well, I mean, look, he, he had a, a lineup the other night where it was, uh, it was Rondo and Westbrook and Carmelo mm-hmm. Anthony. Uh, yeah. Lake, Lake Monk was out there uh, for Monk a little while. Like, <laughs> like, that's like not the, what they're going to do when everybody's healthy. And by the way, Kendrick Nunn and now out for uh, two to three weeks with a bone bruise. My theory, it, it, it was one that was given to him by Avery Bradley when he kicked him uh, so he can try to stay on the roster a little bit longer. But uh, I, I, that's that's not really what happened. Uh, but so, yeah, the Lakers struggling with more injuries. That came out on Friday that uh, that none – or, sorry, Thursday, that none will be out of the rotation, at least for another couple of weeks. You, you uh, Sirrett, um, about a week or so before the season began, you wrote a really good piece for The Ringer about the Lakers leveraging size and the way they're kind of going against – conventional NBA wisdom in 2021, you know, the premium that everybody else puts on spacing. And they're really just looking to bludgeon with size, like before even getting to some of the particulars of like how, of how they're looking to do it in that. Do you, do you, do you think that the, that the roster that they have for it and the players that they have actually can make that approach work because that they're an interesting combination of really big, but also at times not as big as I think they want to be? I think, yeah, I think they're really big, but they don't have, like, the defensive chops that usually come with being a really big team. Like, they aren't the Milwaukee Bucks who are, like, incredibly lanky and could run in transition off of off of misses because, I mean, frankly, there's just going to be a lot more makes. Um, it's, it's interesting because, like, I think there's just there are a lot of free points to be got if like you do have players like Davis and and Dwight Howard and you have somebody who throws lobs as well as Rondo. Like I'm I'm definitely in favor of of bringing those guys back because like it is just I mean look it's like we can talk all we want about spacing but those are just the easiest buckets in the game if you can jump higher than everybody else and especially somebody like Davis who's just who's more powerful but like you know we are seeing more lob defense but i'm not i don't think we're seeing a lot of guys that could actually get up there with davis and not get posterized by him so those are really good easy points and like i'm glad that they went back to that but i also think that you have to balance that out with like a the personnel that you have um and i think for the lakers like they just need more they need to be a little bit more offensively focused and i think that they just need to like they just need to essentially accept that they have to play 85 a lot more than they do um, and from there, then I think you can start to do some really interesting stuff. Like, I think they, like, I, I termed them as, like, the, 
most interesting experiment in the league but it does kind of have to start with like at least some level of common ground with the modern nba and kind of like connect those things because like that's the thing i think that we were missing in in the opener and i'm I'm curious to see what this team looks like in february if they if they do look closer to that version because like you know i think then you can start looking at like westbrook if you have ad at the five then i think like it opens up the floor for westbrook he can start doing some of the stuff that he was doing in houston in terms of just like cutting more um and just you know catching and driving from the wing and actually you know finding an open open paint there because he isn't he isn't the best finisher through traffic at this age. Um, but, you know, also, like, if you have another guy on the floor there, like LeBron or Davis, like, there's going to be a lot of rebounds to be got. But it's just, yeah, it's just about catch, getting that getting that right balance, I guess. But, like, it's an interesting way of doing things. Um, and I'm not, like, totally against it because it, it worked. Like, it, it worked two years ago, and I don't think anybody would have thought it worked. There are some sneaky good shooters on the team too. Like I don't think they're as in theory. Like, yeah, and, like, that's, yeah. That's what I, and that's what they're, I want to ask. Right. Her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But a lot of them like, are hurt. This, they just don't have any. Deep, yeah. 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 But I want to. I, I want to see because there's a scenario here where I think what you're talking about is 100. percent I mean, all of it is is true, and this is kind of the big concerns I think that a lot of Lakers fans have. But like, there's a scenario I think in which the Lakers get kind of the best of both worlds, which where they 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 think they can have that size and also kind of embrace what you're talking about with a little bit more of a modern look at offense. Um, mm-hmm. So I want, I want to ask you about that next. This episode of Locked on Lakers brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving community since 1965. McDonald's always more than a place that just get tasty, affordable food. It's where friends, family, they come to reconnect. It's the place where you look forward to stopping after after a long road trip, you just want to rest your legs. Perhaps a, a big important vote in a in a municipal election. Yeah, after a long day of voting in Edmonton, it's a place <laughs> where you go to recharge. I remember Brian, and you know this because we had. The same I did have McDonald's after the polls closed, actually. Did you? Nice. I, a cheese- I did. I got a cheeseburger like a Mac. Nice, excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say Brian and I used to always uh, the big tradition with our grandmother after little league and soccer games. She would Nini always took us to uh, the McDonald's without fail, but the McDonald's visit you had was a hell of a lot more important. I thought you were going to say that we always went after voting in Canadian elections. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was just like every every single time. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you the the real election security issues. They're more in Canada than the U.S. Brian, remember I were, when we got that guy in Calgary elected? Uh, yeah, we were eight years old, but very politically. That was a aware. lot of McDonald's. <laughs> it really was a lot of McDonald's. Yeah. Head to your local McDonald's, refuel, reconnect. <laughs> Did somebody say locked on Lakers watch party? I'm loving it. I, I think when they have their full complement they're hoping to be able to kind of do both where they can bludgeon people to some degree, even without playing Jordan or Howard, but also be able to run and space the floor and cross your fingers that guys like Monk shoot 40% again and Bazemore can shoot 40%. I'm not saying it's going to work, but I think that's, would you agree at least that that's sort that's of the formula, the right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's like that, that is the most logical and probably like the most, most effective formula that like gives you the most that you can get out of everybody. They look straight up scary in transition sometimes uh, during the preseason. I think um, the Lakers Warrior preseason preseason game actually like where they just got on a run and like they didn't really shoot a lot of threes in that first half, um, but they played really well and they got a lot of stops and they were just I mean it was just lob after lob after lob and like I think like the idea of 
Anthony Davis and Westbrook and LeBron on the floor together in transition was something that we couldn't actually have like conceptualized until we saw it because it was downright terrifying. And there's just, there's still like, even despite like age, there's just very little that you can do when three of those guys are on the floor together. Then if you have four spaces around them, like it just, it just opens everything up. It makes things easier. I think like you can throw Rondo into some of those lineups and lineups and just really get the transition game going, getting, getting stuff towards the paint. Like that's, Right. Like that's when it's really exciting, and that's like the team that like that is like the version of like oh my god the Lakers traded for Russell Westbrook like wow this is so fun like that's what you're looking for, you know like to to like hopefully like turn that into fuel like turn that into like something that can actually be sustainable, and like that's what I'm really curious to see if like they can do that this season. Um, you and, and if they can do that without having like. Right, as you say, you mentioned in the first segment, like they couldn't do it against Golden State on Tuesday because they kept taking the ball out of the basket, um, which just makes it harder. Well, run. they just How, didn't. They didn't right. do it though. Like that's like they just didn't play the lineup. Well, but they also they also couldn't defend I mean, a run. I mean, like it was yeah. and Golden, you know, and Golden State was scoring so much. How good do they have to be, both defensively and with their lineup selections, then to make that work? Like, how much wiggle room do you think they have? I mean, I think. I think they definitely have to be better, but you know, like I also think that somebody like Westbrook has moments where he's going to be more engaged than he was in the home opener. Like that was just, he wasn't really trying to play defense uh, for most of that game. Um, And I just don't think that's going to happen like in important games, at least as much. And, you know, that same goes for like a guy like LeBron who, you know, is not a slouch in the regular season, but isn't quite like going to be his playoff self. Biggest thing to me though, is just like, a Ariza's out, but also like missing Taylor Horton Tucker really, really sucks for them on like a number of levels. Like he's just he's he's really like one of their only guys that can play like three, four, and five. And I feel like to have like any level to have like the level of versatility that you want to have in order to to win a championship, like to be able to play like a lineup that you know like puts AD at the five but then doesn't give up too much size for example like you need a guy like Taylor Horton Tucker um who can like kind of play multiple positions you can can handle the ball exactly enough to cover you know to switch on a bunch of different guys and all that kind of stuff exactly exactly like right now like I feel like with AD at the five it just leaves them so vulnerable because Ariza's out too so I can see why there is a hesitancy to go towards it but at the same time, like all these injuries, like THC is younger, but some of these injuries, it's like, well, I mean, you could have you could have seen some of this coming just with like the age of the team. So like to me, a lot of this is just like, are they going to have the right guys together to gel at the right time? Uh, last thing I wanted to ask you about with the Lakers before we get into some of the Ben Simmons stuff is, and it just sort of dawned on me or the thought popped in my mind when we were talking a little bit earlier about Westbrook and like the things that he could do to help this team and, and function well alongside LeBron and AD, but we haven't seen as much as, and like Frank Vogel, his natural inclination always going towards larger and putting like Mm -hmm. that physical pressure on the rim. When obviously I think in the minds of the three of us, but a lot of other people like Anthony Davis at the five, spreading things out more, sacrificing some of that size for functionality makes more sense. It's going to be this really, I think interesting thing to watch during the year. And I'm curious to, yeah. What do you think about it, Sarah? Like the idea of just both of these guys, Westbrook on the court, Vogel coaching, like having to fight a lot of habits, having to fight a lot of just instincts and, and the way they're going to be evolving 
you know, separately and together over the course of the season. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, I think I'm, I'd be really curious to see what happens if, you know, we hit December and it's just clear that this team isn't going to play any defense. Like, does then, does Vogel just have to change his strategy at that point and say, well, okay, now we're going to be a team that values offense. And like, honestly, that like, you know, is that even a good idea though? Like, I think for this team to like hit its ceiling, it does have to like, it's not going to be a good defensive team, but I think they need to be as good as they possibly can be. Right. So you can't as a coach completely just disregard that side of the ball either. I think it's like, I mean, it's, I I think it's just because of the personnel and the injuries as much as like, I really want to see Davis at the five. I mean, I do think, I do think that Vogel is too rigid about it. Um, at the same time, like in this particular scenario, I totally get it. Oh yeah, they well. can't. They don't have. They don't have the, the 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 personnel to do it right now. What I think is mm-hmm. fascinating about their defense, though, is I think they are capable of getting to a place where they actually could be certainly good enough. Like, are they going to be the second best defense? No, they're not. Um, mm-hmm. But they can be good enough. But the problem is the path to getting to good enough mm-hmm. puts so much burden on AD and and LeBron. I think particularly to be excellent at that end that you don't want to do it now. You want to be like that. You can do that in the playoffs. You can do that, mm-hmm. you know, in game 60 forward, but you can't do it in game three. Have LeBron, quite frankly, play like he was playing defensively on Tuesday where he was flying off the backside. I mean, he was fully engaged. Like 82 games of that, as much as I believe in LeBron's ability to stay healthy, is probably too much. So mm-hmm. it's like, when do you get to that point? And like you say, what can Vogel do in the meantime to kind of give you enough offense to 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 play that way and find the comfort level that's it's one of about 10,000 things i find interesting about this team from a process standpoint another one being how interesting these guys seem to find process like carmelo anthony talks about it every day like and he's like with a like a legit smile on his face he seems totally engaged in the idea and the mystery of it all it's kind of cool uh, I feel like that is like that is like the central intrigue of this team, right? Like that is why I find them so fascinating because like you do have LeBron James, like you do have like if there is anybody who can like solve this particular problem that you presented to him, like it is him. Um, you can like you can leverage LeBron in a lot of different ways, and I think it's just interesting to like use the best player, not maybe not the best player anymore, but use like historically the best player of this era in a way that he hasn't been used before. Um, especially when you have somebody like Anthony Davis on the team who also has like has strengths like rebounding and defense and and size and and transition game that like haven't historically been paired with LeBron before either. So, you know, it's fun. I I I really, you know, I'm I'm enjoying the early Lakers experiment. Yeah, it's definitely been a, it's nothing if not interesting. Uh speaking, speaking of, of experiments, Andy. Yeah, uh <laughs> Ben Simmons, uh this thing's <laughs> Kind of gone to shit in Philadelphia. I uh, want to talk about that when we come back. And also, uh, speaking, speaking of also of things that are going to shit, Waystar Royco and mm-hmm. uh, the Logan family on succession looks like it's getting a little out of hand. So get into all of that uh, coming up next. But first, Locked on Lakers brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. Bars covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft. They're easy to chew, and they are healthy. They're great for the health-conscious folks out there. If you're trying to lose or maintain weight, but you still want something that tastes awesome, they're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great for the keto crowd, and they taste great, as always. you got 12 original flavors, including raspberry, 
Coconut almond, banana bread, new flavors, including cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake cookies and cream. They're perfect for someone like me who just loves really cool, interesting taste combinations. You don't feel bored like you're eating the same thing over Plus, and over. super yoked. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this you, I, I'll tell you right now, a body like this doesn't just happen no, by itself. It's built bars. Yes, it's solely built bars. It's not any exercise. It's not any working out. It's not watching anything else I do. Just it's bar. just built bars. So go to builtbar.com, use the promo code LOCK15, get 15% off your first order. Again, promo code LOCK15, 15% off at builtbar.com. So it got to the fourth round of, uh, I played a fantasy basketball league with a bunch of like NBA people. It's a very, it's like a league of sharks. Like it's very difficult to get into, uh, like, you can't find any sleepers. None of that exists. So the fourth round rolls around and Ben Simmons is still out there and he had just decided to show up. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to take a big, big swing here. I'm going to give it a shot. Um, and I, and I, I did this eyes wide open, fully aware that this could go to hell relatively quickly. I thought I'd get six hours. <laughs> I thought I would get at least six to eight hours before the whole thing would collapse. Um, and, and on Thursday, I think we reached new levels of what the hell is happening with Ben Simmons um, when he spoke to the staff and he like, talked about a backache. And then at least somebody put out a, you know, a tweet that said that a source inside the, the Philly uh, building thinks that he is faking mental illness. Like that is we are at, at a point now where it's gotten really ugly. Daryl Moy, the same day that uh, this back injury and the you know the the leaked uh, report about you know the potentially faking mental illness, which by the way, you better be really sure about what you're talking about before you leak that one. But uh, Daryl Morey was on Philly radio and said that quote people should buckle in. This is going to take a long time. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. This could be four years. The conditions I'm pointing out to you don't change. Unless Ben Simmons is traded for a difference maker, we're in the prime of Joel Embiid's career. We have to get back either Ben Simmons playing well for us, who helps get his championship, or a difference maker for Ben Simmons. Or this could be four years from now where it's still like, hey, we took the best shot at it we could. So I thought about this, Sarah, at its most literal. My daughter is in fifth grade right now. According to Daryl Morey, there is a live scenario where she could be in eighth grade and Daryl Morey is still holding on to an unhappy Ben Simmons who <laughs> desperately doesn't want to be there. His teammates clearly don't want him there. This cloud is hanging over him and Daryl Simmons is going, I mean, uh, Daryl Morey is going, well, you know, according to the models, we, we got a 52% chance of a title <laughs> if Ben Simmons is around versus 48% with these role players we're offered. Sorry. We and and amazingly, his back is still sore. <laughs> like they haven't figured out a way to, like, to, to get that right. I mean, pe people talk about Daryl Morey as like this human computer with no concept of like how interpersonal anything works. Like, is this, I guess, just sort of the the zenith of it? Like, that, that reputation that like, And that's what I'm getting. Like, there seem to be so many things that in hindsight, you look at it and go, how did how did they not fix it here? Or how did why did somebody think this was a good idea? Like, there's just there's so many missteps along the way. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, I, man, like, Daryl, I don't know. With Daryl, it's like, is, as I, I, I hesitate to like just paint him with like the easy brush of just being an analytics wonk that doesn't care about team chemistry. 
I almost wonder if he's like playing into the stereotype on purpose in order to like try to create leverage like to paint himself as so stubborn and so like uncaring of like these other intangible aspects which is why like we never see superstar holdouts like get to a place like this because everyone realizes or thinks you know like there's the other side of this too so everyone thinks that it means that it will just you you know like it's just gonna make the whole locker room go bad like it's just gonna cause so much drama that it's not gonna be worth it that other things are gonna start going wrong um maybe daryl morey on some level is willing to challenge that assumption because i mean that is like no one has actually done that yet um and this is to me i think this is kind of like his downfall because i think he cares about chemistry more than we than like the cliche would have you think but i also don't think it's necessarily something that he values as much as the on-court product right like he's like one of the his like more you know famous quips is that you know chemistry is just a three-game win streak um I would and he's, say he's right to a degree. He's absolutely just, right to some degree about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the Rockets missed 27 threes in a row. And it's like, okay, we can talk about probability, but like I for <laughs> one don't believe in cosmic coincidences. Um, just for that to happen at that exact time, you know, like there is I don't I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think that's probably there's an element that you were missing that if you had you know, like just watching like Steph Curry, you know, in this in this Clippers game. And obviously we're talking about Steph Curry here, but like having a player that can just emanate some level of calm that can like, you know, be the person who just brings everybody together is is valuable. I don't think that those teams really care to have any element like that, nor were they the type of teams that actually built like, you know, any internal level of chemistry do that because it's, you know, Daryl, but also like, other people in philly like this is kind of a place that seems to thrive on conflict um like i don't think doc rivers is is a coach that is just like super duper kumbaya with his locker rooms either and i also Um, think he gets a he gets a he skates on you know his sort of wizardry and and whisper nature of of being able to like handle any locker room great with personalities and all that to undoubtedly guided the clippers you know very very in a very impressive fashion through the whole sterling thing but like stuff goes wrong in doc locker rooms like the idea that he yeah. can just magically make all this stuff work he's gonna have to hide a lot of money in different uh arena ceilings around the league to cure this one <laughs> because like this, this is a pretty big deal but, yeah, but like the part of the complicating factor, I think, to some degree is like we don't know exactly what he's being offered. At least I don't. Maybe you do. Uh, you're, you're a little little better at this than I am. But like that. And so I, I agree with you. I think this interview that he did on Thursday was really designed for other GMs around the league saying, like, look, if you've got a real offer, like if you've been holding back, but if you've got a real one, go ahead and give but, it to but, me now. Because okay, I think this is, we can get this so done. What happens pretty quick. in a week? What happens in a week? Like, that's what I'm curious about. To my fantasy team or the Sixers? I mean, your fantasy team, like, that's a whole other issue. Like, so, like, did you, who else I don't do you think have? Like, you're everybody else. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm really curious what this looks like in a week because I don't think it's going to take that long. I think it's really hard to actually, like, go through these scenarios. Well, that that's that leads really well, like, uh, Sarah, before we get to uh, the the Roy family, like, the idea <laughs> of this this statement from Maury 
Like the idea that this somehow creates leverage for him to like from the outside looking in, I feel like another GM around the league or all of them be like, you're you're threatening to hold on for four years. The hell am I supposed to like? I'm how sorry, the hell you, is that? You called sp- Philly Sports Radio today, like, right, but like, how is that supposed I to make me saw it, I just saw it on the social media. Like, right, you, know, that, like, you don't have to actually tune in. They'll do yeah, that for there's you. This thing called the internet media. now. It's it's <laughs> really helpful. And then the flip side though is this is what I also find so fascinating about this situation: the perceived leverage that it seemed like Simmons and Clutch thought that they had over the situation despite the fact that Simmons was coming off a career low point and is locked into a long-term deal where there is no threat about losing him for nothing. Like as Daryl Morey's established, my daughter could be in eighth grade and this guy could still be on the team. So like where Simmons thought the leverage could come, you know, beginning the holdout, then when you end the holdout, you know, you wonder A, what was the point of the holdout, but B, once you show up, what What's the best play from there? And just sort of their thought process throughout all this, because it seems to me like they've really misplayed their hand pretty badly in a lot of this. I I also think it's just really, really fascinating to watch. Like predicting where he's going to go, who knows? I I have no idea. I don't think anybody knows. You know, the same four or five teams keep getting thrown around. That's not the part that I find is interesting. I just find the psychology all around really fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think it's just like two, I guess like in large part it is just two different entities. Like it's Ben Simmons and it's Daryl Morey. Um, And Ben Simmons is not historically really compromised on what he wants to do either. Um, So I don't really know what's going to happen. Like it just kind of feels like, it feels like Simmons is kind of okay with this as well. Like, I don't know. Like, and I'm not sure who's bluffing. I'm not sure if anyone's bluffing. I was about to say, I don't know if anybody is. Yeah. Like, I I don't know. And it's just like, I don't know how much longer you can keep doing this. And like this organization too already has so much dysfunction that it's it's like like a poker game. Can you afford? It's like a poker game where you're down to two players. Neither of them is bluffing, like throwing their money around, but they both think they can win with a shitty hand. Yeah. Just, I, yeah, it's like t- turning like yeah. turning like a. Sorry, go ahead. Oh okay, no, finish. Go ahead. I was gonna. I was just gonna say it's like it's like if you got like the second pair and then like you realize you were you were you were behind and then you just decided to turn your actual hand into a bluff and then by the end of the hand you're confused because you don't even know what you have relative <laughs> to the other guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I told that to Andy. Like you know, we we had had this debate. Like I, you know, they obviously sort of I think overplayed. Not so much their hand with Philly, but I think overestimated the value that Ben Simmons could get in a trade across the league, which you know then leaves them with like Philly can't give him away. Like they're too they're trying to win right now, so they they need to try to turn him into real value. Um, and you know then Simmons capitulates, shows up to camp. You know, hey Elton, he's outside at the phone booth or whatever. And you know we we had this conversation. It's like to some degree, it's like yeah, you completely folded. At least it looked that way initially. But you also like, what's the point of throwing good money after bad? Like this, obviously the strategy that they had was a bad one from the beginning to never show up and all that kind of stuff because they overestimated the value. Yeah. I think the other thing too, is that the potential trading partners that you would have all want the same thing. Like if you want to trade for Ben Simmons, that means you're probably trying to win. 
which means you don't want to trade any of your winning pieces mm-hmm. that Philadelphia would want as well. Um, like there aren't a lot of rebuilding teams that also would be able to give back like something that the Sixers would actually want. Like, you know, we've heard the Raptors in different talks and they have a ton of pieces that are interesting, but the Sixers like normally when you have a player that has a trade demand, it's not a player who like could potentially win a championship. Like this is that, that in and of itself is, is a rare situation. I think that's like part of the thing that made the Kyrie Irving trade hard for the Cavs as well. Like these situations are just really, really tricky because like, you're just, it's so hard to find a partner in a trade unless there's also just dysfunction going on there, which is like why I just think you see, you know, Philly trying to wait this out, see if Washington implodes, see if Portland implodes and just go from there. (sighs) Yeah. Is again, this has become a fascinating car wreck to watch kind of like what's happening uh, with the Roy family. I saw um, at the moment, well um, season mm-hmm. three of succession. All three of us are massive fans. It premiered last week's uh, episode two is going to be this Sunday. And you wrote what I thought was a really, really great piece um, ahead of the premiere, raising the prospects here of Logan Roy dying. You know, his health has always been an issue throughout both seasons and what it would do to the kids or how they could even function without their dad on a lot of different levels. And there was two elements of that that I wanted to ask you about. The first came off, um, I'm reading from your piece, while Logan often excuses his cruelty for a duty for family, like a media world Walter White, he does not seem to care much about his legacy. Kendall was onto something when he accused his father of being jealous that his kids don't have to suffer like he did. He'll plunge his company into chaos with his last breaths. His only regret being that he can't stay to witness the epic conflict left in his wake because what use is power if it can't be exerted even from the grave? First of two questions. First, do you think Logan has an actual endgame beyond power? Like, is it truly just power for power's sake or is there anything else you think Logan actually desires at all? No, I think like Logan's like an inherently just like a very fearful person who needs to isolate himself with his power so that nothing can ever touch him for him. It's not about like having a legacy. I don't think he cares about having a legacy. I think he cares about survival above all else. So for him, like that's what power is. It's just like another tool that he can use to distance himself from people who he thinks would betray him or hurt him, or he betrays them first or he hurts them first so that he can always be the dominant figure and no one can ever hurt him. Um, So yeah, like that's just, that's that that I feel like has always just been like the story with him and also what has ultimately like made it impossible for him to redeem himself as a human being because like he just can't get out of like that narcissistic behavior where everything is just about him yeah, and how he feels like everything he's like he's very angry he reacts to you know he's reactive he's abusive like um, he doesn't want to hear things that would potentially hurt him. Like he can't deal with any level of criticism either. Like he is just actually like very like, it's such an interesting show because it shows you on some level that like Logan is definitely like more cunning and just like a, usually a step ahead of his children. But at the same time, like does not make a lot of sound decisions, um, makes a lot of emotional decisions for somebody who is also like the CEO of, this giant company. Um, and that leads, uh, the other part of that I wanted to ask you about, um, because you talked in this piece about how 
Logan's, you know, lack of end game, like we were just discussing, you know, the effect of it on the relationship with his kids and the way he manipulates them. And one of my favorite elements of the show with the kids, and I think just shows how well drawn they are, is I think you could make, or Kendall, Shiv, Roman, and Connor could equally claim that they're the black sheep of the family. Like each one of them could make a compelling case that they happen to be Mm -hmm. the black sheep of the family and like that they consider themselves that way, which explains in a lot of ways why all four of them are so screwed up. A, do you agree with that idea that in gen- like that all four of them have an equally compelling case and feel free to shoot it down if you don't agree? And B, either way, who do you consider the family black sheep? Ooh, that's that's a good question. Um, I would say, yeah, like they they definitely do. And I also think that they are they are all trying, they also all kind of like deeply believe that as well. Yeah. Yes. Um that yes. reminds like it reminds me of the episode uh where they had the they had Tom's bachelor party and Roman was talking about the game where Kendall would lock him in the cage and mm-hmm. it turns out that Roman would ask him to lock him in the cage. And it was this moment where I was like, yo, like either you're being lied to and gaslit about like a trauma experience that you have, which I mean, it came from Connor and Connor just doesn't seem manipulative enough to do that. And I think that's why the show used Connor to to tell you like, this was actually honest that like, you know, Roman would like, he did have like tendencies to like punish himself and like would have tendencies towards self-harm, which like Kendall does too, obviously. And then, you know, with Shiv, it's a little different. You know, I think Shiv, comes off as like the most outwardly competent but then like you dig through the surface and she's actually a lot like her dad actually where she's she is a reactive bully and she does make actually like better tactical decisions than her brothers do but then once you kind of put her in a position where her back's against the wall she just kind of starts punching out and doesn't know what to what to do beyond that um so yeah i think i think they all have like a a pretty solid case like logan's been warning the company over Ken for so long like that's definitely a form of psychological abuse there's obviously allusions to like the level of physical abuse that Roman uh went through was was more and also like I would say that he was probably the black sheep because it also feels like he got ganged up on Hmm. more than uh than the other siblings like it feels like there was more then again like Roman and Shiv also have this relationship where they gang up on Ken so I don't know. And then Connor like, himself. Like, yeah. I feel like, yeah. like, do you, in a family like this one, is the black sheep, the one that is sort of just obviously kind of lives off the family fortune and really hasn't accomplished much of anything. And it doesn't like, but, but also sort of gets is out of the way and is inconsequential like Connor is, or is it the one that has the most potential to, uh, to, yeah. to, to think, do something that carries on this, you know, you know, theoretical legacy that a normal family would want, like which in a family like that, which makes you the the black sheep, especially when purposefully the father makes sure that no one child has enough of the components of business cob that you know of, of running company when he's gone or being a ceo or like he is a he has removed those capabilities from each of them in different ways 
and you know it's he's not a he's really not a good father like that's really my big takeaway is that logan no, Roy is not, a good, not a good father no don't don't get your fatherhood advice from from logan roy <laughs> no, we definitely do it definitely not in our family yeah yeah he definitely does do that where i th- i think that anytime he sees i think competency f- from people that could potentially be here to the throne actually just terrifies him yeah. People can't see. We can see you. You are very tired, and you've been very busy. And between all the writing and all the NBAing and all this, you know, you're helping with your family, doing some some awesome stuff. And it's been a grind. And so it is uh, later where you are, and we appreciate you staying up and doing this with us. It is always fun to talk to you. And uh, congratulations again for all the the good stuff that's happened for you and happened for your family. It's really cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And no, this was fun. You know, I always enjoy coming on and talking to you guys. So it was a good, uh, it was a good break. Cool. Sweet. Check out all of Sirit's stuff at the ringer. She's on all the podcasts, uh, at least a couple times a week. It seems like you can find her work over at the ringer and, uh, you should always be checking out. It's great stuff. And uh, yeah, thanks again for everybody making Locked on Lakers your first listen of every day. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. We'll see everybody on Monday.